Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening. Food for Thought is the show that is creating strategic conversations that lead to innovative solutions in our goal to create a food secure Michigan. And today I'd like to open the show by sharing with you what I believe to be the four big tools in the anti-hunger toolbox. The first one is SNAP. That's the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, or in Michigan it's called the Bridge Card, and for some of us who are of older generation it was known as food stamps. The second big tool in the toolbox is a job that pays a living wage. The third is the personal responsibility that individuals have who are plagued by food insecurity to do everything they can do to help themselves. And the fourth big tool in the anti-hunger toolbox is the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our network of seven food banks that serve all 83 counties across the great state of Michigan. So coming soon to the Food for Thought, we will host shows that focus on each of these tools that we currently utilize in our mission to create food security. We will explain how they help fill the meal gap that exists in people's lives. Our guests will include those who are working in each of these fields who will help us understand the purpose, effectiveness, problems, and what the expectations should be for each of these tools. I like to do a bit of handyman work around my house, and recently I built some doors for one of the rooms in our 166-year-old home. I shared with my wife that I needed a tool and quoted my dad when I said it to her. I need the right tool for the right job, and that means the right outcome. The right tool makes the work more enjoyable and gives it the best chance for a best outcome. Approaching this stubborn and meddlesome problem of food insecurity across Michigan is no different. We need the right tools for the right job and the right people working with those tools to get the right outcome. In order to complete this mission of food security, the government has a role to play with both programs and policies, including SNAP. The business community and owners have a role to play from small business owners to corporations with a conscience like Jim Robinson and the Farm Bureau of Michigan. They have a role to play. The people who are struggling with food insecurity have a personal responsibility to solve this problem that is evident in their own lives, and the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our network are critically important to this mission. No entity can, can, can serve at such a cost-effective delivery process as our network. There are more tools of all shapes and sizes that are designed to do this great work, and they do it. But these are the big four in my mind. And we need to make sure all the tools in our toolbox are in good working order and are being properly used to their fullest potential. One thing these tools have in common is the need to be used correctly. But to do, to do that, there is a need that they need to realize, we need to realize, what is being built. What's the end result? In construction, this is called a blueprint. In organizations, it's called a vision. And the Food Bank Council of Michigan is the architect, the one with the vision that we are creating a blueprint to solve hunger in Michigan. And we are using these tools in the hands of professionals to make this happen. Our vision will be to realize that every person in Michigan has access to healthy, nutritious food 
through a dignified means. One of the professionals that is helping us get a great start on our blueprint is our guest today, Dr. Diana Pierce, the principal investigator for the self-sufficiency study that has been commissioned by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. This study will help establish a baseline for describing what is needed for a family of a certain composition in a given place to adequately meet their basic needs without public or private assistance. The self-sufficiency study will instruct the professionals who use these four tools in how they fit into the overall scheme of creating a food secure Michigan. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Stay tuned for Dr. Diana Pierce and Jerry Brisson right here on Food for Thought. Welcome back to Food for Thought. Once again, here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Here with Jerry Brisson, the CEO and president of Gleaners Community Food Bank, and my esteemed co-host, Jerry. Welcome back to the studio. Thanks, Phil. Always great to be here. Great. Well, we, we shared with you in the um, first segment that uh, our guest today is uh, Dr. Diana Pierce, um, and she is the principal investigator for the self-sufficiency study that the Food Bank Council of Michigan has uh, is partnering with her to help... Um, uh, really define and inform this entire uh, opportunity that we see is has come to us as the um, the real almost once in a lifetime opportunity it feels that way to me jerry it really does to really tackle solve do we dare use that word um food insecurity in our state. You know, if solve is the right word, then you got to start with the equation, right? And I think that the self-sufficiency standard, which Dr. Pierce is going to tell us about in just a minute, is a key part of that equation. What are the pieces that come together in a person's life that they need to spend resources on in order to have a reasonable way to live? I, I think it's fantastic, and I know uh, I know we're excited to hear about it. So I guess the first thing we should do, Dr. Pierce, is uh, is introduce you with Michigan Roots, because you've driven through a snowstorm and maybe two <laughs> of them true. today to get to the studio uh, here at WJR. So welcome to Food for Thought. Welcome to Michigan. Welcome back to Michigan. And tell us about your Michigan Roots. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be back, even in the middle of a snowstorm. Yes. <laughs> Managed to get here from Ann Arbor. Um, I did live here for many years, uh, getting my degree and starting my family um, in Ann Arbor. So I have my uh, master's degree in social work and my Ph.D. in sociology and social work from the University of Michigan. Wonderful. Well, there will be a lot of folks listening that will be going go blue at this point of the show (laughs) right now. So tell us about um, the self-sufficiency study and how did it come about? What's the origins of it? And I know that you've done it in so many different states now that we're a little ashamed that it's taken Michigan so long, (laughs) but we're really excited about it. Well, we're really glad to have Michigan as part of the family. Um, You'll be our 39th state. so the self-sufficiency standard got started when I, when I did a study of the job training programs. It's called JTPA then. Now it's uh, WIOA, mm-hmm. uh, Workforce Investment Opportunity Act. And this is a program that's found in every jurisdiction, which provides job training or 
um, helps people find job training um, to get out of poverty. And it had a goal of self-sufficiency. And when they were doing it originally, they were just saying, um, we'll average together everybody's wages. Uh, and oh. But it was pretty clear that to be self-sufficient meant something different if you were a single person or if you were a person with dependence with a family to support. So people asked me to devise something that actually measured self-sufficiency. Um, so I started to put it together and looked at what other people had done to measure what's an adequate income to be self-sufficient, to be able to pay for your basic needs without any assistance, public or private mm -hmm. um, assistance. And uh, some people have done some basic needs budgets, uh, but they hadn't really gotten very specific. And of course, there's the poverty line, but the poverty line has gotten so out of date, it doesn't right. really measure that. And it doesn't vary by important differences. It doesn't vary by family uh, type, uh, family size, and the uh, age of kids. And it doesn't develop, uh, vary by where you live. And, of course, the cost of living is very different in different places. So to be self-sufficient in Detroit versus uh, self-sufficient in, in Lansing or the Upper Peninsula is quite different. Uh, so they said, well... You're a data person. See if you can come up with something. So that's what I did. Wow. So we now calculate for over 700 different family types in each jurisdiction. Um, so we look at what does it cost for a single person, a single person plus an infant, a single person plus an infant in a preschooler, et cetera, all, all right. the different kind of combinations. Uh, and we do that then for each county in a, in a state. Uh, and how detailed we can be is dependent upon the d data that's available. Right. So I understand that uh, over 700, I think I saw uh, in the proposal that we've been sharing back and forth, uh, 719 different family groups. And when I share this with people who are vested in this work and listeners to this show, they are so excited to see the data. Because they think, and we all believe, that it's going to help better inform our work and what we're about to, you know, what we're about accomplishing. Absolutely right. And when you're feet on the ground, you know, the the food banks that make up the Food Bank Council of Michigan, we're feet on the ground. These are the households we're seeing. And so, you know, there there's a tendency to want to make one size fit all for efficiency purposes, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're really about solving a problem, you have to be about more than just efficiency. You have to be about effectiveness. And that's what's so critical about this kind of a study. It takes us beyond a, okay, this is how much we can get out uh, in terms of pounds of food or education or whatever it is we're trying to get out in the community. It takes us beyond those measures to real specific and concrete. For this household, you need to do this. And when you get to that level, you can start to see problems actually be solved. And that's part of our, our rationale for this whole uh, effort here is to say, that's how smart people do it and that's how we're gonna get it done. You're listening to WJR Food for Thought. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. I have Jerry Brisson and Dr. Diana Pierce with me. Stay tuned, stay with us. We'll be right here. Come back and be with us. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Diana Pierce with me from the University of Washington. 
by way of the University of Michigan, <laughs> and uh, we are discussing the self-sufficiency study. And Jerry, you have a question you can't wait to ask. Yeah, it's usual, right? Right, it's usual. But really, the question is, you know, you've done this in 38 states, and what would you say is the most exciting outcome of this study in the states that you've been in? Well, it's changed over the years, but right now, I think it's the use in the minimum wage fight. Um, as you probably understand, we probably are not getting a federal increase in, in, in an increase in the federal minimum wage. So it's really up to the states now to uh, to make the changes to increase wages. A study I did in Washington State, which has one of the highest uh, state minimum wage, I think it's again the highest now. Um, at the time, it was about $2 over the federal minimum wage. And I did methodologically, what would happen if we reduced the wage uh, to the federal minimum wage, $2 less? And what it did was increase the number of people who are below the self-sufficiency standard by 6.5%. Now, there aren't many policies that change the number of people who have adequate income by 6%. So that's a pretty big thing. The standard has been used, for example, in Oregon to help develop a three-tiered minimum wage. So the most expensive place in in Oregon is the Portland metropolitan area. So that has the highest minimum wage. And then some of the other cities in western Oregon are the medium. And then the lowest one is, is in eastern Oregon. But they use that cost of living to help develop an appropriate minimum wage that works across the state. Um, Seattle used it to raise it to $15 an hour. So we're now at $15 an hour for large employers in uh, in Seattle. And the end has not come. You know, it's actually, Seattle is booming. <laughs> uh, and the fact that people are paid is not stopping people from creating jobs. And for, we get over 300 people a day moving to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, and I really like that there's 700 plus household types to look at. And minimum wage is a clear tool for many of those households. And if we're going to be solving a problem like hunger, we've got to know all the tools in the tool bag. And having practical examples like the one you've given of, this tool was successful here in this way, is going to help us understand how to best use that tool locally, along with the other tools in the tool bag to get the job done. But if you don't have a baseline, to work from to know what's actually happening in these households, then how do you know what tools are even working? Well, we also used it in Seattle with the workforce system. And basically when someone comes in, they're unemployed, maybe hungry, um, and need need help getting getting into the workforce, they look at what their standard is, that is what they need, and then they look at what jobs are going to pay that kind of wage. And so they find that From people that were below the standard when they came in, afterwards about two-thirds of them are above the standard. Just from their own choices? Well, because they're using the standard to help figure out how to get people to self-sufficiency, which jobs, which community college programs, you know, which kinds of certificates, whatever is going to work for that family, given their resources, given their education, um, their skills, given the market, et cetera, what's going to get them to be um, self-sufficient. And it changed a lot what caseworker is doing. So instead of saying, go get a job, any job will do, um, they said, hmm we got to work together to find what's going to work for you. 
So it was a real tool that really helped them. And, of course, you know, Dr. Phil started us off by talking about the people who are in this dilemma of trying to figure out their life are one of the most important resources to solve the problem. And this is a great example of how a study like this can empower people in so many ways. It's, it's, uh, I think it's the kind of things that make us real excited about it. Well, the specific use for the self-sufficiency study Uh, I think in regard to minimum wage here in Michigan is to inform the policy, not say what the policy should be, but to inform it. Because we're having this conversation now in different spheres. And again, this part of the purpose of Food for Thought on WJR is to bring these hard conversations together so that we can inform these decisions instead of fixating on a number, and that happens to be $15 an hour, that we think one size fits all and now okay now we've addressed it and what and what the self-sufficiency study will do dr pierce i think is say well this number works for this family situation here but it doesn't work for this family situation here and so it's about informing policy not us dictating policy but we want to we want to share this information so that people who are have the responsibility to create policy will do so in an informed fashion. So I think it's really exciting about that. That's one of the most exciting things that has happened in regard to the self-sufficiency study. Wait till that conversation happens here in Michigan. It'll be really exciting. <laughs> I think that's true. And I, you know, again, I, I'm going to read a, a, a paragraph actually from the proposal that you sent that I think really highlights it. Using the standard enables smart and efficient allocation of resources, both targeting and allocating more where the need is greatest, yet meeting needs equitably across different cost areas and family types. Now, that, that's technical in a way, but it's also so clearly the kinds of tools we need. How can we say a problem is solvable if you don't address it in this way? You can't say it. You can't say it. Then it is just pipe dreaming and... and Cheerleading. Yeah, right. Exactly right. And that's not what we're really about. And so I, I appreciate in a great way the seriousness with which this is done and, and the mathematical um, facility of saying, you know, there are lots of different situations, so let's start breaking this down and tackling them one at a time. Some are going to be easier. Some are going to be more difficult. Well, let's start with the easy ones and work our way through it. And that's part of how you get problems solved. Exactly. One of the things that it does, too, is it's very empowering for the people you work with. Um, I think many times in our society, people who are low income feel that it's their fault uh, and what this says is, this is what you really need to earn to be able to balance your budget. And the fact that you are struggling to pay your rent and to meet your health care and child care needs, much less your, fo- your, your food needs, that, in fact, is because you don't have enough to meet those needs at a, at a reasonable level and that you're having to make compromises. And that it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you've made bad choices. It's because your income is just too low. We found when we've done studies using the standard that four out of five households below the standard have a, house, a worker in them. So it's not that people aren't trying hard. They're, 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 work, they're working, but this helps to explain this is what the costs are. And when we do it, you know, we have people try to figure out what these costs are. A lot of people are pretty surprised at 
how high they are. They kind of forget that you you have this much for your different costs, like housing or child care, especially if you don't have young children. We've certainly noticed 47% of the people we serve at the food bank have at least one working person in their household. 47% of food insecure people that we serve have at least one working person in their household. There used to be a clear connection between employment and food security. If you were employed, you were food secure. Now it's not. Now it's not. So again, this the, the work we have to do is to say, well, how much is it then? How many people and how much and what are the things that we can do using information like this to start turning that around and saying employ- there should be a stronger connection between employment and food security. It's, it's right for people who can work that their work should be providing what they need. He's Jerry Brisson, the president and CEO for Gleaners Community Food Bank. She is Dr. Diana Pierce. She is the principal investigator for the self-sufficiency study. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and you're listening to Food for Thought. We have one more session with Dr. Pierce, uh, one more segment here. Don't go away. Come back and be with us. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And on one more segment with Dr. Pierce here, who's all the way from the University of Washington to talk with us about the self-sufficiency study. And I think what we're really interested in in this segment is uh, some of the practical applications that, Jerry, you, you had a question off air that was along that line. Yeah, you know, I mean, it seems to me, and part of the reason that we're eager to have the information is because uh, once once we know the scope and the, the size of the problem by all these family types, that it can be used in so many practical ways for those family types to be more successful. So, you know, I was asking for, is there a checklist? Is there a, you know, a list of 25 things that have been actually solved because people were able to use this data? That's probably not entirely fair, but I, any reflections on, you know, just the scope of things that have been assisted because the study was done? Well, Overall, we like to say that there's two ways to get to self-sufficiency, by lowering people's costs and by increasing their income. So lowering costs includes things like uh, child care assistance, various kinds of work supports, uh, including SNAP and and WIC, uh, uh, food assistance. But everything is a budget. So if you spend a lot on your rent, that's going to squeeze other things. So having help with whatever part of your budget that you can cover uh, with assistance, that helps lower what you need to, uh, to earn. So we, that's one, si- one side of it. And it's been used, therefore, to, um, to make the case for expanding. There's a problem, for example, in child care assistance in many states. During the recession, it was reduced, and it hasn't quite been uh, increased. It, meanwhile, the costs are going up. Um, so people are being squeezed more and more and getting less and less uh, help. So looking at that side of it, reducing people's uh, costs. So the standard's been used to make the case. And sometimes, you know, legislatures say, oh, we'll just increase it another $50 a month on poor families that they have to do. And we can show that that is literally going to take milk out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> you know, that that, that mm. budget is fundable. So if you make them pay more for child care, that's less, less for food. 
Uh, so that that's one use that's been used on that that side of it. And then on the other side, we've talked a little bit about this, raising people's income. You can do it individually through training and education, um, but you can also do it through raising the minimum wage, uh, Incre- increasing the kind of jobs that will produce uh, higher wage jobs, uh, use it for economic development. As you said earlier, you can use it to be smart about how you use those resources so that you don't end up training people. And I actually have seen this where there's been training programs to train people to be housekeepers or to train people uh, in l- very low wage jobs that are not going to get them to self-sufficiency. And so they'll continue to be str- struggling. Um, we have really transformed our poor into working poor now uh, to a large extent. And crossing that um, barrier and going into jobs, we used to think, bye-bye, you're not done, you know, like you said, with the food banks. You know, once once you get uh, a job, that's the end. That's not true anymore. So looking at how we can use our resources to smartly... Uh, target them. So we can use the standard also to evaluate the programs that you're funding. So you you evaluate, are these programs producing people and training people for for occupations and placing them um, effectively in occupations that are going to get them self-sufficient? And then they become taxpaying citizens. And that, in fact, is is, uh, improves things. So, um, So you can use it all these different different ways. In some states, people have developed online calculators where they can look up their standard, even calculate their benefits they're eligible for. So that, again, that it empowers people to say, this is what somebody objectively from far away in Seattle, <laughs> um, uh, and it's not me, I, I, use, I use government n- numbers too. So I use what government says is adequate House, an amount of money to get adequate housing, the fair market rents. Um, I use what the government says is adequate to meet your food needs. Um, a food budget, does, it's just groceries. It doesn't have any takeout or restaurant food. No pizzas, no lattes. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, 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 that's so impressive to have the, the data. You know, it's not, it's not just being made up. Right. These are real. These are real numbers that have been well researched and it's and it's very clearly understood. It crosses a lot of different areas to basically give us a lot of tools, not a tool. So the 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 self-sufficiency standard really enables a lot of tools. And I really do believe that looking at the impact at the household level, understanding there's different types of households knowing the real impact can help us make better decisions and that's what's going to allow us ultimately i think to take hunger off the table she's dr diana pierce he's jerry brisson the president and ceo of gleaners you're listening to food for thought i'm phil knight and uh dr pierce um i i someone might say well why dr pierce and why university of washington and uh why you? Well, I can answer that, and I think I'd like for you to elaborate on it, and that's because you're the only one doing this work. I'm not the only one, but we do the best job. Right. (laughs) Well, okay, I'll take that, but (laughs) to look at everything that you've included in our proposal here... uh, And everybody else started later. There you go. (laughs) So maybe the original. The original? Yeah. I'm the creator as well. Right. The the origin, the original creator of the self-sufficiency standard, and obviously the best. (laughs) So uh, that that goes without saying. 
But there's a couple of other angles here that, and we talked about them with um, with the self-sufficiency study and its use. Once it comes to us, then um, it, informing policy we talked about, uh, and, and not just policy that that's current, but policy that's needed. And I'd, I'd like for you to maybe elaborate just a little bit. Have you seen some instances where the self-sufficiency standard information has helped lawmakers and states alter policy, change policy, particularly in the area of eligibility for benefits? It hasn't been used as much for eligibility for benefits. It is aspirational, (laughs) put it that way. Um, It's really used more, I think, to help um, think about what wages ought to be, both in the private sector and in terms of things like living wage and um, minimum wage. Right. Uh, Eligibility for benefits, but it's also, it's helped people understand that if you give people benefits, say help with child care, and then you cut it off before they're self-sufficient, it's problematic. Right. Uh, So it's been used that way to help people understand that we need to provide those work supports until people are able to meet those needs on on their own and not have to borrow from the rent or go to the food bank in order to pay for the child care because they hit the eligibility limit and um, they lost their their benefits. So it's been used in those ways. Right. Not so much eligibility, but to keep eligibility from actually hampering people doing better. Yeah, I think, and you used the word aspirational, and I think that if, um, if, you know, we're all dreamers here and we want dreams to come true and because we want a better quality of life for everyone, you know, we have a couple of uh, my staff, uh, Kate Squires here with us, well, they call them Philippisms, you know, where the tide that raises one boat in the harbor raises all the boats in the harbor. The other one we think about is the uh, the, the links in a chain, because a chain's only as strong as its weakest link. Mm-hmm. And if we don't lift all of us up, if all people don't have an opportunity to better and their quality of life and become, they have the opportunity to be self-sufficient, to me, that is largely the American dream now, in this day and age, and and I think having the using the the self sufficiency study to influence policy, and I think in my dream, eligibility guidelines instead of dropping people off the cliff at eleven fifty an hour in this state, we slope that and we extend their benefits. And that, no, that involves federal policies and all that. And Kate's told me that a thousand times. And I keep saying, I don't care. This is what we want to use it for is so that we can extend people's lives. Well, there are ways that the state can do that. So Right. So I have to, I have to reluctantly bring this segment to a close and say <laughs> thank you so much for making the trip to Detroit and the midst of the snowstorm that's now turned to sunny skies and uh, if you don't like the weather here wait 10 minutes and um and say to you thank you we're going to be with you the rest of the day here and uh i appreciate how you have invested your one handful of life thank you for being on food for thought here on wjr well thank you very much for having me and i look forward to um the study and its release in june uh and see how uh, gets used in Michigan. Well, when when you come back in June, we'll have to do this again. Okay. That, right. That's He's Jerry Brisson. She's mm-hmm. Dr. Pierce. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be right back to close up this segment of Food for Thought on WJR. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. 
Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Welcome back. Jerry Brisson, President and CEO of Gleaners. I got to ask you, what did you think about the conversation with Dr. Diana Pierce? Well, you know, we need tools, right? We need tools to make us better. Dr. Pierce is such a smart, uh, uh, she has such a smart approach for developing a tool like the self-sufficiency standard that's going to help us decide what are the best ways to spend money to actually have impact. And, you know, some of the money we spent could be spent better. It's going to make us more efficient. And so much of what we want to do as we address a problem like hunger is say, let's spend money well, not just more. Right. Right. So when we understand there's 719 different households and they all need different things, it's going to help us spend money well, not more. And that's a a key part of how you're going to take hunger off the table. And and not to say that it couldn't be more in programs that are giving you a tremendous return on your investment, but, you know, more spent intelligently, not out of any moral or ethical or... uh, you know, political bias just simply because it works. You know, because our, our goal here, and we I said it in the monologue and the opening thing is is that our we want the self-sufficiency study to inform policy, not just at the legislative level, at the food bank level. How Absolutely are we doing right. how are we becoming more using this data to become more effective to help us reach our mission? Because we really want people to be self-sufficient. And that means that they are living their life without public or private assistance. Absolutely. And and there are seven food banks in Michigan. We serve every county in the state. And not every county is the same. No. We all have different challenges. And so the tools we need in our toolkit have to be modified to the circumstance. And though, there, you know, Gleaners has about 500 different organizations we work with to get food out just in southeast Michigan. 2,900 statewide. 2,900 statewide. So 719 different households, 2,900 different partners. How do you move that many people to do better work? You need the information that says this is what's really going to work for the households you're serving. I think all 2,900 of those organizations are going to be excited about this because it's going to help them do what they want, which is what? Take hunger off the table, make households better, have a dynamic impact on our community. I, I, I agree with you completely. And I look at it like this. So there's a couple of things. One is the very first show we did on Food for Thought here on WJR, we had Dr. Stephen Borders from Grand Valley State University who's helping us create this mapping program that maps the entire state. And the first the first map we're creating is where are the food insecure people living? And he looks at 18 different factors that could come into their life to indicate they're more than likely food insecure. Now we take that with our distribution model, 2,900 different pantries, and we overlay this map about the self-sufficiency study. And I think we're going to be spot on about where the food and other assistance needs to go. Because you can't solve a problem like hunger unless you know who is hungry, where they are, and specifically how much do they need so that you can apply solutions appropriately by those segments and really literally take a segment at a time. There's nothing wrong with taking the easy ones first. Yeah. And you just and the more you do that and the more you empower people to be successful, overall the less money it's gonna cost in, in you know, in the future. Absolutely. 
Well, I said it in a segment with Dr. Um, Pierce a minute ago that here's one of the things I know, that a, a chain is only as small, as strong as its weakest link. And uh, it doesn't matter really how strong the rest of the links are, that chain will break at its weakest point. So let me offer a little food for thought here as we close out to this week's show. Jerry, if we have four or five tools in our anti-hunger toolbox, one is the weakest, and in this case, one is the strongest. Potentially, the strongest tool in our toolbox is a job that pays a living wage. Now, I know you talk a lot about the disconnect between full-time employment and food security, and that's a great point to break to make and to and and I absolutely believe it. I'll take you back to President Reagan's quote when he said the best social program is a job. I would amend that to say the best social program is a job that pays a living wage. And we don't know what that is for who where in this state and that's why we need the self-sufficiency study. This is where this conversation really matters and all the responsibility can be placed on one tool alone no matter how potentially strong it is. It's going to take all of these tools working together in a collaborative way so that we can rid people of this dehumanizing, demoralizing, stubborn problem of food insecurity. Therefore, in the future, one measure of our success will be by acknowledging how few people need our services. I'm convinced that when all four of these tools that we have talked about in the monologue and particularly the self-sufficiency study and a job that pays a living wage, when they work together, food security will be solved in Michigan. Thank you for listening. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought. Thanks for being with us here on WJR. Food for Thought has been presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.